0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. The first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric
1: Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Michael Hoag. Um, Dr. Hoag is the current president of American Pharmacists Association, or APHA, and the dean at Loma Linda University out there on the West Coast, California. He also graduated from Sanford University, Go Bulldogs. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Dr. Hogue.
0: Thanks for having me, Eric.
1: Yeah, hey, the pleasure's all mine. Um, We're kind of building off a little bit here with some of the provider status stuff, since there's a big push for that going on, which you're really helping spearhead. Um, We've seen the huge push from every pharmacy organization, whether it be NCPA, uh, I believe NACDS, and even APHA, for to get Congress to recognize us as providers. Can you tell listeners briefly why now is the time for this big push?
0: Well, I think uh, what what we've uh, seen happen during the COVID pandemic is that uh, pharmacists have stepped up um, as we do every time that there's a public health crisis. And we have uh, demonstrated very clearly and decisively to the public that we are essential to the health care system in this country. And so um, right now, the awareness level of the role of the pharmacist on the healthcare team is probably the highest that it's been among consumers and among legislators, uh, at least in the last 20 years. I'm not sure when uh, we've seen uh, legislators and the consumer more uh, aware of the critical role of the pharmacist. And so... If we want to see change happen in the profession, um, both at the regulatory level and um, at, the, at the law level with Congress, uh, we, we need to move now while people's awareness is high.
1: Okay, that makes sense, uh, especially because, if I read this right, you're kind of like the vaccine expert pharmacist with some of your the past history you've done with uh, vaccinations. The COVID vaccine could be an issue because that could get billed through Medicare Part B, am I correct?
0: Yeah, COVID vaccine is uh, is going to be an interesting thing because, um, you know, I, I guess the, there's a lot of complexity with COVID vaccine that's coming. First of all, you know, we won't have enough COVID vaccine in the early days to vaccinate everybody. So there'll be some sort of a prioritization strategy that will come out. Uh, secondly... Um, uh, the vaccine is likely going to require two doses. Uh, there are multiple manufacturers with multiple different mechanisms of action for the, the COVID vaccines. So there's going to be some complexity in terms of uh, ensuring you give the patient the same vaccine for the second dose and so forth and so on. So it's not going to be just as easy as someone walking in off the street wanting a flu shot. It's going to take a lot more thought, a lot more planning and intentionality and um and so you know it's it's uh, going to be a service that pharmacists need to provide and <clears throat> and and healthcare providers need to provide and we and we can't rely on hospitals for it so a lot of what we've done in the covid pandemic is rely heavily on hospitals to do most of the heavy lifting in healthcare but we can't do that with the covid vaccination we're going to have to use our tried and true, tr- true strategies of pharmacies and others and Medicare Part B, as in boy, has been announced by CMS as the payment mechanism through Medicare for the vaccine, Um, but uh, at this point, uh, it's not explicitly clear in the current language that uh, Medicare will pay pharmacists for COVID vaccination. Uh, We believe they have the authority to make such a uh, pronouncement, and we're pushing them for that. Uh, but certainly the sure-fired way to make sure that happens is to have legislation go through Congress to, to demand that it happens.
1: Yeah. And I just think of how many times I, I work at a chain and one of the other stores is doing COVID testing and I have – dozens of people either come into my store or pull up to my drive through or call every day who think we're doing it. And I'm like, no, we're not at this store. You have to go there. You have to go there. And I think of the same thing would happen with a vaccine, if not more so. So yeah, that would be huge if I could just, you know, talk to them and go, no, we have it. Come on in, you know, and just take care of that right there and not to refer them off to a hospital or somebody who can build Medicare B exclusively like this. So that's a, that's a huge call out there. Also with, the, well, I'll I think,
0: ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think, Eric, one of the other things that is really important, uh, you know, here we are uh, in late August, uh, coming into September, and I think what pharmacists need to realize is that it is absolutely critical that they reach out to their county health department uh, personnel and let their county health department personnel know that they're ready to step up and help with COVID vaccination campaigns. Um, There's still a lot of planning going on at the federal level in terms of how distribution of vaccines is going to work, how, you know, it's going to be allocated within communities. There's definitely concerns about having enough people to do the immunizations Um, and, you know, in some parts of the country, public health departments, which are likely going to have a lot of responsibility with the distribution of the vaccine may or may not be aware Uh, of pharmacists who are prepared to do this. And I suspect the large chain pharmacies are already having those conversations with state departments of health. But my guess is is that many independent pharmacies or grocery pharmacies may not realize they need to be reaching out today to the Department of Health and, and ensuring that they're a part of the planning process for distribution of vaccine. It is not going to be something that you're going to be able to just order through your wholesaler. It's not something you're going to be able to place an order through the manufacturer. And so, um, you know, even just agency advocating is going to be necessary in order to even set the stage for payment, because if you can't get the vaccine in your pharmacy, then there's nothing to get paid for.
1: Yeah, that's a good call. And I think as a former uh, independent pharmacy owner, you're a little more in touch with that side than someone like me who works for a for a big chain, so thanks for calling that out. Um, and if we thought hydroxychloroquine had a lot of, you know, push behind it, if this thing comes out, it's going to be the hottest thing we've ever seen in pharmacy for sure.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think that's the case. I, I do think at the end of the day that CMS will in fact uh, make it very clear that pharmacists uh, should be fully authorized to administer COVID vaccine, regardless of what states uh laws might say and i think that cms ultimately will also uh do the right thing and incorporate pharmacists into the payment model just like they do for flu and then the cockle vaccine so but it requires advocacy i mean we've got to be involved in in promoting our profession and advocating and that goes from the state level all the way to the federal level
1: yeah now is not the time for pharmacists to uh, stay humble like we do so often in in pharmacy um is there uh, You know, the,
0: the, real- yeah, the reality is, Eric, is that we're all very busy. Pharmacists in every practice setting are just stretched so thin. I mean, staffing levels, especially in the chains, are not where they need to be. Um, you know, because of decreasing margins, PBMs have treated pharmacies terribly. Uh, they've created dangerous working conditions. And, you know, I don't blame the chains completely for it because they're dealing with a reimbursement model from the PBMs. There's a lot of people that are to blame, so to speak, for the problems we have in pharmacy. And I know that pharmacist's time is stretched, but this is one of those moments. This is a I I don't want to overuse the term that we hear too much in the media, but I think this is an inflection point. For our profession, this is a point where pharmacists have to stand up and take back our profession. It's time that pharmacists stood up and got involved and took back our profession. We cannot let people run over us anymore. It's just, uh, it's it's uh, it's now or never, and and we've got to keep pressing forward.
1: I think that's I couldn't agree with that statement more, and I'm I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Is there any is there any opposition to us getting provider status currently at the moment?
0: Well yes, uh, you know the the idea of expanding practice authority uh is a little bit scary for organized medicine. And and notice I said it's scary for organized medicine. The American Medical Association and its state chapters have largely been obstinate and obstacles have created obstacles. They're afraid. And I don't understand why they're afraid. Pharmacists in local communities everywhere work so closely and so well with physicians you know i work with physicians day in and day out at our medical center and you know we have a great working relationship we trust each other and and the physicians rely heavily upon the pharmacist and it's a it's teamwork but when you get to the level of the american medical association it's not about teamwork it's about protection of of uh, of medical practice and, you know, I there's a reason why the American Medical Association does not have uh, membership that reflects the practice of medicine. In fact, I know very few doctors that are members of the American Medical Association because they don't buy into AMA's rhetoric and they don't buy into AMA's protectionism. They see the value of team-based care. And I don't know why the AMA hasn't gotten there themselves as an association. Um, I think that AMA is largely made up of a bunch of elitists who have no touch point with the reality of practice. And so real physicians who are in practice in real communities know that pharmacists are their partners and their friends and are working together collaboratively. And they would never oppose this. In fact, many of those doctors that I know of have actively called Congress on our behalf and said, hey, we want our pharmacists to have this authority. I think
1: that's a good call out there because we do see that a lot. Even in the community working with the chains, You know, we, we have our headaches with each other you know, time to time. But at the end of the day, we do work together to make sure we take care of patients, whether it's something simple like a prior authorization or, you know, giving a flu shot. We still have all those interactions on a daily basis with the local offices. Yeah. And,
0: you know, um, you know, maybe I'm a little harsh on AMA. I mean, there are times when AMA has been very collaborative with APHA and other pharmacy associations and early in the pandemic. They were very cooperative when we were dealing with some issues with hydroxychloroquine and so forth, and so I do have to give them credit for uh, some some things that they've done that's been very positive. But you know, when it comes to when it comes to the things that really matter in day-to-day care of patients, we're all on the same healthcare team, and we all have to work together to ensure that patients achieve appropriate outcomes from whatever. Intervention they're receiving, whether it's a medical intervention, a surgical intervention, or a medication, uh, as the intervention. And you know, when we're we're way past in our society the point where any kind of association, whether it's a pharmacist association, or a nursing association, or a medical association, can can take these uh, protectionism stances. We have to realize that. That, that the society that we live in today has a broken health care system and that we must work together to fix that system and it's going to require a different approach. And so this uh, fighting for turf is uh, is a bad call. It's a really bad call on the part of any association.
1: Yeah, I think that's one thing that is bipartisan in Congress or any state is that we have a at least semi broken health care system no matter what level you're looking at it. And kind of playing off that a little bit is some of the uptick in telehealth that we've seen. Do you think that pharmacists getting provider status would be a huge benefit to telehealth since they are actually limited in some of their clinical or physical interventions?
0: Yeah, well, that's a a great point. Well, you know, um, just yesterday we received uh, some pretty awesome news from CMS that uh, uh, they have now um, authorized uh, for uh, diabetes self-management therapy providers, which you know, in order to be a DSMT provider, you have to have uh, your program, diabetes education program, has to be certified, uh, and uh, to be able to provide that service. But they they yesterday ruled that nurses and pharmacists can provide telehealth services. Uh, that are reimbursable under the DSMT benefit. And that is a huge win. It marks the first time that we've decisively had a statement come out of CMS about pharmacists being able to provide telehealth that's reimbursable and billable. So we're really excited about that. I think it's a step in the right direction. But, you know, pharmacists are uh, essential. And you know there was a, also a clarification that came out of cms about a week and a half ago uh, that also said that pharmacists can in fact provide telehealth incident to a physician services which means you have to be in the same facility essentially as a physician but you can the physician's uh, practice can bill for the pharmacist services uh, that are provided on telehealth. So we're getting a little light under the um, under the shade, so to speak, uh, Eric. And I think that's a, that's a good news. You know, that's the good news. But telehealth is really. Where the future is, I really don't expect our healthcare system to go back to being completely a face-to-face system ever again. I mean, I don't. I believe uh, patients have realized that there's a lot of a uh, lot of healthcare that they're happy to get uh, by telehealth, and it's convenient. You don't have to sit in a waiting room around other people who might be sick, and it's timely and your appointment scheduled for a certain time, and guess what? Your appointment happens at that time. You don't wind up running an hour or two hours late. So, yeah. you know, it's pretty cool. Those are pretty cool things in the healthcare system, and I think consumers are going to demand telehealth for a lot of their services. So, I guess getting back to the, your question, yes, I think telehealth is a huge opportunity for pharmacists, and uh, and you know, we're I think pharmacists are among the most technology able. Healthcare professionals um, that are out there, and I think that pharmacists will thrive in a telehealth world.
1: Yeah, I think of things that are really hard to do with telehealth, like taking A1Cs and blood pressures, things like that. That you know, if we have providers to us, we can do that. And then help confirm or, you know, serve as almost like a satellite to the doctor's office to take that burden off of them. And it actually help reduce their costs as well because they might not need as big of a facility, need as many rooms, things like that nature. So we can actually both win from this if we get provider status is kind of the way I see it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, digital therapeutics and digital uh, 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 health is uh, really emerging. I mean, there's a whole division now at FDA that's dedicated to digital therapeutics, and, and there's so many digital health products coming out. Uh, pharmacists uh, are going to have a lot of tools and resources uh at their fingertips to help them uh, with patient compliance and, and adherence and to help help with ensuring that patients get the best use of their medicine. So there's so many exciting things happening out there with technology and innovation and in and medicine. And, um uh, you know, to me, the future is very bright for pharmacists. It's not going to look like pharmacy looked uh, 50 years ago, but uh, what we what we've got in front of us is a pretty exciting uh, set of opportunities. So I think it's a great time to be a pharmacist.
1: Yeah, and you know, kind of speaking on that, like you're talking about with drug adherence and things like that. APHA, I think it was just today or yesterday, tweeted out a article that I think was published back in May about how much better pharmacists were at driving adherence when it comes to uh, drugs like lisinopril and those essential ones for kidney protection to people with hypertension or diabetes, and how much more adherent those people were, which therefore ends up saving hospitalizations, long-term health outcomes, and extending the life of people. We know that in 2016 dollars, the cost of not- drug non-adherence costs anywhere from 500 to 600 billion dollars a year and kills roughly a quarter million people. If we had provider status and we were able to do some things, how much do you think we'd be able to cut back on that drug, inhe- drug non-adherence issue?
0: Yeah, well... You know, I I don't know exactly what the dollar figure would be, but I will tell you this: that dollar figure that you just quoted of five hundred to six hundred billion dollars. You know, Congress sometimes gets tied up in knots about the costs of things, and they use the Congressional Budgeting Office, which is an independent agency, to score bills that come before Congress. And and so, just to give you a little bit of insight into this, when when the original pharmacist provider status bill went before Congress. Uh, a couple of years ago or so, um, the CBO uh, looked at that bill and, and they estimated um, uh, sort of a back of the napkin kind of thing. They estimated that it would cost uh, the taxpayers $10 billion over 10 years, so about a billion dollars a year for 10 years. <laughs> now, here's what they don't do. The CBO does not actually calculate savings. They just calculate direct costs. So what they admitted, what CBO calculated, is that it would only cost taxpayers $10 billion over 10 years to pay for pharmacists-provided patient care services under Medicare Part B. And the data that you just quoted, which is strictly related to adherence and really doesn't even deal with all of the other medication-related problems that are out there, is a five to $600 billion a year problem. And so the amount of potential savings just in adherence alone would more than pay for ten years worth of pharmacist provided patient care services under Medicare Part B. So You know, Congress needs to understand, uh, our legislators need to understand that they're being myopic when they're looking at just simply a cost number that comes out of the CBO. They've got to look at the bigger picture, and that article that you mentioned uh, that was highlighted on APHA's uh, uh, Twitter feed uh, is a great example of that savings.
1: Yeah, I always look at it like, if we can even make a 10% dent in that that's roughly 50 billion dollars to 60 billion a year, with obviously inflation costs going up with healthcare much faster than the standard inflation rate. And so, if it costs a billion dollars a year and we only save 50 billion, that's still a 49 billion dollar year win. Which, when we're talking some of the money that they're spending right now at this point with COVID, might not seem like a lot, but that's a lot of money that can be utilized for other things. So, I mean, 40, 50 billion well, dollars in healthcare is still a lot hard. of money. <laughs>
0: Well, and I I don't have a dollar figure to tie to this, but just another statistic that I think is very important to know from a clinical standpoint is that, you know, somewhere between, uh, depends on what hospital, what region of the country you're talking about, but somewhere between 22 and 32 percent of all emergency room visits are drug-related or medication-related. Some of those are illicit drug overdoses, but but it's medication or drug-related problems and uh you know there there are a lot of common therapeutic agents that are are in that bucket
1: yeah for sure i i, I work by a lot of er's and i see that all the time and you haven't seen some simple things that are treated whether it be pink eye and things like that that you know we're not even talking about right now that could be simply treated at, by a pharmacist at a pharmacy and avoiding a whole er cost which is i think like five thousand bucks to walk on the door <laughs> at average at this point
0: absolutely there's no question It just makes perfect sense to pay pharmacists to manage patients' drug therapies. We're the drug therapy expert on the team, and frankly, it's quite unfair in the healthcare system that we would expect productivity of pharmacists in these areas and then not pay them for it. I mean, how do you come up with that? And that's essentially what insurance companies are expecting, and when Congress doesn't act they're expecting pharmacists to do something for free. And, yeah. you know, I'd like to see them function as a member of Congress and do that for free. I don't think they're going to be willing <laughs> to do that.
1: Some of them might if they've already got enough money in their back pockets, but that's a little bit different story. Uh, the, the one well, thing I can
0: tell you we don't get our money's worth out of most of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> unanimous decision there too. Uh, the one thing I thought was interesting was if we saw providers' status get passed with Medicare B, do you think we'd see a lot more innovation with pharmacists being able to step up and kind of use this knowledge and skill sets and tools we have and therefore being able to like maybe go start our own practices or our own kind of pharmacy services that could really help kind of transform healthcare like you've been talking about?
0: Well, there, there's already a lot of innovation going on. I think what would happen was that, is that we would see that explode. I mean, I, I know of many uh, medical group practices who would hire a pharmacist immediately if they knew that there was a consistent constant revenue stream associated with that pharmacy services. I think that there would be a massive shift in employment opportunities for pharmacists. Um, and I'm not saying community pharmacy wouldn't have a lot of those employment opportunities. We need community pharmacists and local communities providing clinical care services because there are no other health care providers in many of those places. But I think the job market for pharmacists would really start growing because there would be multiple new uh, avenues for pharmacists to be able to contribute uh, to the health care team and for it to be a compensable service.
1: Okay. And do you think that the chains would really step up to the plate with this and help, you know, kind of fix some of these staffing issues because they'd have more pharmacists around that they could use in other ways that could make the workplace a lot better since we've seen so much heat come with that from the New York Times articles recently from Ellen Gabler.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that the chains are corporations that answer to shareholders and, uh, they're going to follow the money and, and they, they're expected to return, uh, they're expected to return a profit on the investment that their shareholders make. And I can guarantee you that if CVS and Walgreens and Rite Aid and Albertsons and Kroger, uh, if they're if they're able to get uh, paid for clinical services of a pharmacist, I can guarantee you they'll have clinical pharmacy services rocking and rolling. And uh, if the revenue model's changed, then the staffing model's going to change. They they will follow the money. There's no question that corporations are are driven by the dollar and. Um, you know, that's a that's one of those opportunities that I would say could be a win-win because the corporations could win, but pharmacists could win, and we could win with better job satisfaction doing the things that we know we're trained to do. Um, but, but you know, what, what's creating a lot of our problem, Eric, right now, is that it's not only that we're not getting paid for clinical services, it's that the PBMs are uh, really just, you know, they're just <laughs> – Gosh, there are four-letter words rolling through my head that I just can't <laughs> say out loud. You know, they're they're doing they're they're engaging in in business practices related to community pharmacy that are anti-competitive, that drive consumers to the pharmacies that they own, and uh, and they say that they are firewalls, but there's not. Um, and so, you know, there's the, the the truth of the matter is is that the PBMs have put an economic pressure on pharmacies and then the absence of being able to be compensated for clinical services and the two things together have put us in a just a really bad situation as it relates to our ability to provide patient care in the safe, effective way that we were uh, trained to do. And, you know, it's a it's a real problem. And I think the New York Times article really calls that out as clear as a whistle. So, you know, there's, there's it's, it's like, you know, I'm a community pharmacist uh, today, and I, as you know, I'm a community pharmacist by in my heart and training. And I worked uh, owned a pharmacy, and I and I worked for a large corporate chain at one point. Um, so I can speak, uh, I think, pretty intelligently to this issue. Um, a lot of us uh, lay all of the all of this blame at the at the corporation's feet, and they do have some blame to be to be laid at uh but you know we can't just attack um, reimbursement for drug product that's got to be fixed dir fees ought to be illegal Uh, You ought to be able to get reimbursed for a product at a fair rate that allows you to make a profit. I mean, we expect everybody, you you can't go in and buy a garden hose and not expect the person who sells a garden hose to make a profit on it. Drugs are the same way. I mean, they're a product, they're a commodity, and a person who sells a commodity ought to be able to make a reasonable profit selling the commodity and And you know, so that's got to be done, but that's not where pharmacists add value in healthcare care. Pharmacists add value in healthcare care because of their knowledge and their clinical skills. And so for reimbursement, has to be addressed, but you also have to address clinical services and getting compensated for clinical services. To do one without the other is not a full picture. We have to have payment reform for pharmaceuticals and we have to have payment for clinical pharmacist services. It's not one or the other; it's both. And without both, we're not going to see this picture turn around.
1: Yeah, and that ends up being a huge picture for the health care of America overall, just because we know we're so dependent on medications to get better for insert whatever disease state you want so yeah that's a that's a good comprehensive look at i appreciate that for people who want to make an impact but don't know how aside from joining apha which i will shamelessly plug right now with seeing the work that's coming out of them and really any of the major pharmacy organizations but since you're on you're the president apha is getting the plug right now Um, what are some of the best ways aside from that for pharmacists, or even you know other listeners, whether it be a technician or a a patient patient advocate, if you will, to push for this, is it is calling representatives and senators a particularly effective one?
0: Well, yeah, you know, there's so many pieces of advice I could give for people here, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick just two or three things real quick to to give. First of all, you know, pharmacists largely uh, uh, don't necessarily engage in politics. uh, At least historically, we haven't seen a lot of pharmacists engage in politics. So I understand that it's a little bit uncomfortable. I understand that, uh, that it's busy. Pharmacies are busy. It's a difficult time. You know, to find time to be politically active is a little bit hard to do. And it's not necessarily the thing that everybody wants to be engaged with. But here's what we really need right now. Senators and Uh, members of the House of Representatives in the U.S. Congress hear from APHA, and they hear from NCPA, and they hear from ACCP, and they hear from NACDS, and they hear from all the associations. But what they really want to hear is the constituents in their local districts and whether or not something's important to their constituents, because those are the people who go to the polls and vote. And we, we are in an election year, and all of the members of the House of Representatives have to run for election in November. And half of the U.S. senators are running for re-election in the, in the Senate this fall. And so guess what? Right now, you, as a citizen of your town, of your community, of your small area, you have political power. And I would suggest that you pick up the phone. And you call the person if they're running for re-election and you call their office and you say, Representative so-and-so, I'm Michael Hogue and I live in your district and give them the name of your town and I am a pharmacist. And I expect that you will support pharmacist uh, provider status under Medicare uh and you know and i need your commitment to do it and ask for it i mean you've got to ask you've got to say i expect it they work for us we don't work for them and sometimes they forget that and if they won't give you a commitment for that i don't care what party they're in i don't care if they're republican or democrat it doesn't really matter to me what i want to know are they for pharmacists that's what i'm worried about i'm worried about if, whether or not they're for pharmacists that they're not for pharmacists, that I'm going to call their competitor, the person that's running against them. And I'm going to ask them if they will commit to supporting pharmacist provider status. And, you know, i i I know it sounds try Am my one issue guy. Well, I tell you right now, I'm for pharmacists and I want pharmacists to win. And so I'm going to, I'm going to support this, the representative or the Senator who's going to support pharmacy and I'm not going to support the others. And um, that's just where I'm at. And I don't care what party they're in. It doesn't matter to me. So I'm, that's, that's what I would say is you got to pick up the phone and call these folks. That's one thing you can do. And I, I know I've gotten a little long-winded on this, so <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that right now. I think that's a, that's a core activity in an election year that every pharmacist can do.
1: Yeah, and I've done that for all of my uh, state representatives, senators, and uh, congresspeople. The other thing I want to ask, just because I see this so much in pharmacy, and maybe it's just because it's easy to be a keyboard warrior, but Facebook, Twitter. Any advice there besides don't be combative?
0: Well, what I would say is that it appears right now that Twitter is the most effective of the social media platforms of being able to reach members of Congress and get attention uh, to issues. You know, pharmacists tend to gravitate toward LinkedIn overall, that tends to be the professional platform. So we do a pretty good job of sharing information among the professions uh, within the, you know, within the healthcare professions and raise good, good awareness on LinkedIn, that's great. but. LinkedIn is probably not the most effective place to get um, political activity happening. Twitter is probably the most effective way to get um, people who are actively engaged in Washington and in the state houses and the state legislatures to really pay attention to what's going on. So if you're going to engage in social media, um uh, from a political standpoint my personal advice is right now twitter's probably the way to do that uh, there's effectiveness in using instagram and facebook and other things too and so it's not that we you just have to have one strategy but but for a pharmacist who's really wanting to up their game and in, in uh, uh, putting pressure on members of congress and social media i would say right now twitter's the way to do it
1: Okay. I just like always asking that because for some people, especially since a lot of pharmacists are more introverted, it might be easier, not that you shouldn't call, but if you can send those daily nudges or those little nudges off of things that they're suggesting out there via Twitter, it's something you can do any day, any time on your on your phone right there and you know, the one good thing about that is they can see you know, likes and retweets and shares and things like that. So, you know, if they start seeing, absolutely, like, uh, there was a tweet I kind of threw at uh, Seema Verma the other day when she tweeted something, and I think I had as many likes and retweets and comments on mine as she did on hers. So not that, yeah. uh, not that I have a huge Twitter great. following, but it was kind of important to see, like, those numbers are equal, and she's probably seeing that. Yeah.
0: Well, and I have to admit to your listeners, I am not uh, a terribly active person on Twitter myself, personally. I uh, tend to retweet a lot of things and support folks on Twitter. I'm I'm far more active on Facebook and LinkedIn than I am on Twitter, but uh, I think that's a generational thing. Maybe for me, I'm not sure. I don't know. uh, Although we've got uh, some uh, older politicians who seem to like Twitter a lot, too, so I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I would just tell you that that is definitely, I think, an effective strategy. I mean, you know, look look at the places where you're seeing the, the people in Congress uh, uh, get their information, and those are the places you've got to go. I mean, that's just the way it is. got to get the message in front of them.
1: Awesome. Hey, um, before I get to the two questions that I generally ask everyone, but I switched yours up a little bit here, um, I did want to kind of mention that. I actually started with the help of Richie Waith from RX Radio, a GoFundMe where we're raising money to help advertise and promote provider status and put it in front of some key decision and stake key decision makers and stakeholders. And okay. so, right now we're now over four thousand bucks, and uh, I just want to let you know that that's something we're going to be contributing to this fight to help try and push this over the line for pharmacists to get provider status. So for people who are listening, if you want to donate, there's some suggested donations in there, but anything helps. Uh, You can go to GoFundMe. It's under pharmacists for provider status. Anything you donate there, I am personally going to make sure that it gets to people who can make some of this money go to use. And I am going to cover basically any sort of fee issues that rise up to five thousand bucks. So I'm going to come out of my own pocket a couple hundred bucks for this to make sure that to make it happen. So, Michael, you're going to be seeing a little bit more of kind of things like this coming. So we're going to be making a huge push together to try and get this to the finish line, especially since the uh, Congress is going home till at least September now, with nothing passed on COVID, at least at this moment, as we record this.
0: That's right. And, you know, so we, you know, we've got an opportunity here. We've got some time Uh, because Congress has gone home. You know, that means that these ladies and gentlemen are in your district and they're going to be in your district for a little while now. So pick up the phone and call your local district office. If you see that your member of Congress is having a breakfast get together meeting or a community information session, go. Uh, take time off and go. I mean, get somebody to cover your shift, go go to their breakfast meeting or their dinner meeting or their information session, even if you're not in their party and maybe you wouldn't vote for them, it doesn't matter. Uh, They need, you need to get yourself nose to nose with the congresswoman or the congressman uh, and you need to look them in the eye and say, I just want to ask for your support for provider status for pharmacists under the HEALS Act as a part of Medicare Part B, they'll know what you're talking about because I know they've heard of it. So you, you've you got to tell them, we expect your support. I need your support in this way. And, you know, when you stick your hand out, well, they might just give you an elbow since we're in the COVID uh, environment. <laughs> uh, they might not shake your hand. but But, you know, and 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 these events that they might have in their local districts might be small right now because of the COVID pandemic, but they'll they'll have little get-togethers. I guarantee you. It depends on what part of the country you're in as to whether they will or not. Uh, but the, they'll have some of these. And and the other thing is, um, if you own a pharmacy, or even if you don't own a pharmacy, let's say you're a hospital pharmacist, and Uh, you you've got some influence talk to hospital administration about letting a local member of congress come and visit your hospital pharmacy let them come visit your community pharmacy Uh, district pharmacy managers for the chains invite these folks in to talk about what your chain's doing to to improve the health and wellness of people we we all make a difference and we can all influence this and they're home for for this uh this break and it gives us an opportunity because when they get back in September, um, there's gonna be a lot of pressure on them to get something done yep. and uh, and a lot of competing voices. So pharmacy's voice has got to be clear and it's gotta be loud, and they've gotta hear about it back in their district because if they're not hearing about it in their district, they're not gonna to listen to APHA or NACDS. They wanna hear from the pharmacists in their district.
1: Yeah, and another thing too, just to kinda of throw this out there since we are in COVID, Make sure you look for Zoom calls. I know I've said it in a few on people, and all of a sudden, the, the amazing thing there is sometimes when you speak up, your picture gets shown, and then they see who you are and then they have a name to it or things like that. and I, I've seen a little bit of progress made on a few state uh, legislators when people start talking on Zoom calls because you are literally face to face now. like there's there's nothing cutting you off. You're talking and they're listening. So that's just another way. Sometimes absolutely we we want to make sure we're absolutely we're being socially distant, responsible as healthcare providers. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that and I think that's a great way to engage. Just look for every opportunity. Be paying attention. I mean, it's uh it is our moment. It is our time. And listen, if you're too busy to do these things yourself, at least get the support of your state pharmacy association. Make sure your state pharmacy association uh is is aware that you're you're a part of them and 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 be a member of your state pharmacy association. these, These ladies and gentlemen that run these pharmacy associations at the state level are dedicated people who love the profession of pharmacy and they pour themselves into advocacy day in and day out. And you know what, whether you pay your dues or you don't pay your dues, they're going to work for the professional pharmacy, so pay your dues so that you're at least uh, uh, paying up your part for, for what they're doing because they're going to do it day in and day out whether you pay your dues or not and uh, it means something to be part of something bigger than yourself.
1: Yeah, I totally agree and support that that statement 100%. Uh, so I switched up my two questions for you. We're going to try and keep it a little brief here since we're getting a long this episode but... What do you want listeners to do to get this to the finish line, if you can name just one thing?
0: Well, I want to tell our listeners to be persistent. It's, uh, you know, it's nice if you send, you know, one of the automated letters from pharmacist.com. If you go to pharmacist.com and the Take Action Center, you can send an automated letter to your member of Congress. That's great. But you've got to persist. You can't just do these things once and expect that, okay, well, I did my part. I'm done. No, you've got to do it. You've got to do it day by day. I mean, we've got to stay, we've got to keep this issue in front of Congress until they vote on it and approve it and the president signs it into law. Until the day you see that the the president of the United States has signed into law a law giving pharmacist provider status under Medicare Part B, then we're not there yet. We're not across the finish line and uh you know the people who win in these battles are the people who persist and the people who don't have tenacity uh and give up too early well they never get across the finish line so i just gotta you know i just gotta say to pharmacists don't give up you've got to do this day in and day out you've got to regularly contact your member of congress you know set a calendar do it twice a week Uh, reach out to their office make sure that they're clear i'm going to give a shout out to um, an Illinois pharmacist, Starla uh, Grading Starlin uh, is a very active pharmacist in the state of Illinois. And this uh, uh, action that CMS took yesterday to give pharmacists the ability to provide telehealth under the diabetes self-management therapy rules, um, Starlin contacted uh, the CMS folks and tweeted and wrote letters every single day for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that, coupled with the association's uh, constant uh, advocacy with both uh, APHA and other and diabetes associations advocacy, got us across the finish line. But it's persistent. It's it's a it's, you gotta really do it um, regularly and not just one time dropping the bucket.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I probably would have said once a week, but hey, twice a week. It doesn't take much—couple clicks or a one-minute phone call—to do. So it's it's well worth the uh, the payoff to be an advocate like that. What is the best advice you can give listeners when it comes to interacting with politicians? Because they might be uncomfortable on some of these calls or speaking about provider status. What is the best advice you could give them other than be persistent?
0: Well, for one thing, remember that these individuals are citizens just like me and you. They get up every morning and put their pants on one leg at a time, just like me and you. They have kids and grandkids. They deal with the same struggles most of the time. They just happen to be in a position of power and authority. And so, you know, they they are, in fact, uh, just like us. And so you've got to look at them in the eye and understand that they uh, want to hear your voice. They really do. I think sincerely that all of them uh, at least went to Congress with the idea that they were going to represent the people and be involved in listening to the people. I think they all genuinely want to do that. Um, some of them have been there too long, and, uh, <laughs> probably uh, have probably lost a little bit of sight of that. But I think in their heart, that's what they want. Um, I've never encountered a senator or a House member that I've been able to get eye to eye with, and 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 just have an honest, down to earth conversation with. You don't have to be somebody you're not. Be yourself. They they want you to be yourself. You need to be yourself you'll be more sincere you'll be more um believable if you just speak from your heart there's no elevator speech there's no you know not, there's no wrong thing you're not going to say the wrong thing i promise you you just need to speak from your heart and tell them your story that's what they want to hear and so i think that's the main thing that you just got to do is be be authentic be yourself and um and speak truth and and i think that's the thing that you got to do when you're dealing with members of congress
1: Awesome. Hey, Michael, you've been an amazing guest. I loved your passion, your fire. I'm glad you're president of APHA because of that. So thanks for well, being my guest you. this episode.
0: Hey, it was an absolute honor. Thank you so much. And I just want to say to all of your listeners, uh, hang in there. I know things are tough some days, but you're going to come out on the other side of this mountaintop and it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful journey. Uh, The diamond goes through a lot of pressure uh, uh, before it comes out, a beautiful diamond. And so we're going to have that kind of pressure right now. But when we come out on the other side, it's going to be great. And I know that your future is bright so hang in there pharmacists we we're going to win this on the other side
1: all right and when provider status passes i sandra leal says she's coming back on you're coming back on too and then we're going to have a little celebration about it so
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll come on together we'll come on
1: together <laughs> right. awesome hey listeners I'm, check out the show notes on this episode I'm going to link a bunch of stuff including Twitter handles everything you can think of different ways we can get a hold of the APA letter that was referenced all sorts of stuff that can be shared and just copy and pasted that's what I'm going to try and streamline this for everybody so again listeners thanks again give me a five star review if you can that way we can make sure that this gets heard and gets brought to the top of the, the discussion for when it comes to podcast which senators and congressmen do listen to. So as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.